Uh, good evening, everyone, and welcome uh, to the Transportation Authority Marin Board of Commissioners meeting for February 23rd. Uh, I'd like to welcome everyone. Uh, I am filling in uh, tonight on behalf of Chair Colbert, uh, who is unable to join us this evening. Uh, it's great to see all of my colleagues, uh, staff, and uh, members of the community that are joining us this evening. Uh, we're going to officially call this meeting to order. Um, if you are, uh, actually, everybody's joining us via Zoom, as this is our, our uh, last Zoom meeting as the Transportation we'll Authority to... of Marin, um, which should be, uh, everybody should know how to participate, but for the one last time, I'm going to turn it over uh, to Jennifer to give the instructions. Thank you. As allowed by Governor Newsom's Executive Order N-1521 and Assembly Bill 361, this board meeting is physically closed to the public and is being held virtually via Zoom. There are a number of ways that the public may participate in today's discussion. You are invited to send your comment in an email to info at tam.ca.gov. If your comment is received before the item is heard, it will be read when the specific agenda item is being considered by the board and will become part of the record. If it is received during the meeting, but after an item is heard, it will not be read, but will become part of the record. Members of the public participating by Zoom may provide verbal comment on any item during the open time for that particular item by using the raise hand feature or dialing star nine and waiting to be called upon to provide your comment. Please note that there is a three minute limit per comment. I'm also gonna ask the panelists to please mute your microphones for the duration of the meeting and only unmute it when speaking. This is to minimize feedback and background noise and allow staff to give a clear audible presentation. Please keep in mind that I will conduct a roll call vote on each action item. So you will need to unmute your microphone briefly. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Uh, and with that, um, why don't we go ahead and start with a, a commission roll call. Commissioner Blaustein. Present. Commissioner Carmel? Here. Commissioner Carroll? Here. Commissioner Collin? Present. Commissioner Catrano? Absent. Commissioner Eckland? Present. Commissioner Fredericks? Here. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Here. Commissioner Cool? Here. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Here. Commissioner Ravazio? Here. Commissioner Rice? Absent. Commissioner Rodoni? Here. Commissioner Sackett? Absent. Vice Chair Lucan? Here. Chair Colbert is absent. You have a quorum. All right. Um, I do not have a, a chair's report, um, uh, but uh, looking forward to seeing everybody uh, in person and, and meeting some of the commissioners for the first time, um, as this will be our last uh, Zoom meeting, uh, at least for the time being. Um, but I'll move on to commissioner matters not on the agenda, if any of my colleagues have anything they would like to bring up or share. Not seeing any hands go up at the moment. So we will continue right along with uh, commissioner reports. And uh, welcome uh, Commissioner Moulton Peters, our new uh, MTC commissioner uh, to give, uh, your, I guess your inaugural MTC report here at TAM. Hi, thank you, Chair Lucan. And this is gonna be very brief. Uh, at yesterday's MTC meeting, we uh, had some action that was exciting. We appointed the new executive director, uh, which is Andy Vermeer, who will head the MTC organization now. Uh, Andy was a deputy director for many years, an engineer, and uh, a North Bay resident as well, and uh, very, very well qualified to lead the organization forward. 
We also uh, elected our officers, and that would be Alfredo Pedroza, Napa Valley Supervisor for a second year as chair of MTC, and Nick Josefowitz of San Francisco as vice chair. Uh, we approved the RM3 allocations now that they are out of court. Uh, and I think those were the high points for the meeting. So thank you very much. Well, thank you, Commissioner Moulton-Peters. Um, we do not have a Marine Transit report uh, tonight as uh, Commissioner Rice is not here, but we, we do have a general manager of Marine Transit, Nancy Whalen, who will be presenting later on. So I'm sure she can update us on anything Marine Transit related uh, that needs be. Uh, on the SMART report, I'll also keep that very brief. Uh, it might be old news by now, but it's still exciting news that happened shortly after our last TAM board meeting uh, is uh, we all know that uh, Regional Measure 3 uh, finally got uh, uh, those funds uh, becoming or are, will be becoming available uh, with a good portion of that that had previously been slated for SMART for the Windsor and Healdsburg extension. Uh, just a couple days after that news, uh, SMART was also successful uh, with a TIRCP, uh, Transit Intercity Rail Capital um, Project Grant. Um, I think that was up to about $43 million. So between the two, uh, SMART got uh, significant dollars uh, to continue uh, their northbound extension. Uh, and there's a couple other grants that are still in the works that we'll be hearing about shortly, uh, that if they all uh, end up being successful, um, could open up the door to go all the way to Healdsburg. So exciting things happening uh, there at SMART and want to share that with my colleagues. That concludes the SMART report and I'll hand it right over to our executive director, Ann Richmond, for her report. Okay, thank you, Chair Lucan, and good evening, everyone. Uh, nice to see you all. Next time it will be live in person. Um, so continues to be a busy time here at TAM, and uh, I have a few updates to share with you. You can go to the next slide, please. Um, so you may recall back in 2021, we completed a feasibility study for the US 101 part-time transit lane project, sometimes called Bus on Shoulder. And uh, we got some good news this week from MTC that we have uh, been selected for a $1.25 million grant to um, advance the, a pilot project um, into the environmental phase. So the feasibility had found that there would be benefits from a project to provide transit priority during the morning peak period on southbound 101 between DeLong Avenue in Novato and Lincoln Avenue in San Rafael. Um, so uh, with this grant funding, we will be able to further develop the project. Um, we also submitted a grant application to the TIRCP program, as Chair Lucan um, referred to it, and that was a joint application along with Marin Transit and the Golden Gate Bridge District um, that would provide additional funding for the part-time transit lane project, uh, would also provide funding for Marin Transit's operations facility uh, and 20 zero emission vehicles for both of those transit operators. So we look forward to hearing the results of that grant program uh, probably in April. Next slide, please. Uh, we are also in the process of submitting a grant application for a program called the Rebuilding American Infrastructure with Sustainability and Equity or RAISE grant. Uh, and this would be for funding to close a shortfall on the Bellum Boulevard off-ramp project. Uh, RAISE funds are part of the Federal Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, or IIJA, and uh, it's a very competitive program. Uh, I think last year there were over 900 applications nationwide, um, 
but it provides funding for surface transportation projects that have a significant local or regional impact. Uh, there is additional information on the Bellum project and the semi-annual project report, which is an item on your consent agenda. Um, and I would also like to note that the Golden Gate Bridge District is also applying for these funds uh, for the San Rafael Transit Center relocation project. And as a longtime supporter of that project, uh, TAM is also um, hopeful that both Golden Gate and TAM would receive funds from this program. Next slide. Um, also wanted to let you all know that we have released a request for proposals for sea level rise adaptation planning for Marin County's transportation system. Um, just a reminder that there is a program that's part of the Measure AA uh, sales tax expenditure plan that provides funding for sea level rise planning for TAM. And uh, we have brought initial considerations to the board on this program um, in previous months. The scope of this work would be to advance sea level rise adaptation planning to support TAM and other local public agencies to identify and implement measures to protect transportation assets. And in this uh, work, we're really hoping to go beyond just identifying what the vulnerable locations are, but actually starting to assess uh, potential solutions and concept designs. Responses to the RFP are due March 7th, and we uh, would expect to bring the contract for um, your consideration at the April board meeting. Next slide. Uh, some partner news with Marin Transit and Golden Gate Transit. Uh, Marin Transit is proposing changes in June to local bus routes and schedules. And I think you'll hear more about this on another item on our agenda, uh, but they are seeking input from riders. Uh, more information is available on their website and the Marin Transit Board of Directors will hold a public hearing on these changes at their meeting on March 6th. In addition, Golden Gate Transit is considering fare changes and they've scheduled a series of uh, virtual public meetings to receive comments on a proposed five-year fare program for uh, both the bus and ferry services. Um, these programs are intended to help the district keep up with inflation and their rising costs. And uh, the meetings were scheduled for February 16th, 21st, and today, and more information is available on their website as well. Next slide, please. Um, wanted to provide a couple of significant updates to the State Route 37 corridor program. Um, I, I might have mentioned this last month, but uh, it's worth repeating that in December of 2022, Caltrans completed the Planning and Environmental Linkages, or PEL, study for State Route 37. And um, this is a pre-environmental clearance effort that's really intended to collect preliminary input from stakeholders, develop initial concepts, and help facilitate uh, what is sure to be a complicated environmental clearance effort for the corridor-wide program. Um, the project website uh, has the final study report and a lot of additional information, and that can be found on the Caltrans District 4 uh, website. In addition, and more recently, um, there were a couple of significant steps with the Sears Point to Mare Island project. Um, this is what was formerly known as Segment B. Um, Caltrans completed the environmental clearance for this this month. And um, in addition, uh, Caltrans and MTC uh, signed a partnership agreement with several of the state and regional resource agencies. And uh, that agreement was really meant to establish a vision and a process for um, the environmental sort of mitigation and enhancement aspects of the Sears Point to Mare Island project. 
Um, and the third kind of significant thing that happened on this is that uh, SMART has been added to the multi-agency partnership. You may recall at our board meeting in December, TAM approved um, adding SMART to this MOU document and that uh, the other partners have also uh, since made those approvals. Next slide, please. Um, still on Highway 37, but a little bit different. Um, there is a new video up that uh, we have developed and is now available that is part of the Commute 37 pilot program. Uh, the video is available on the TAM homepage and on social media, and you may even see it on Peacock TV. Um, this pilot program is a partnership of the transportation authorities of Solano, Napa, Sonoma, and Marin, and it's funded by the Bay Area Air Quality Management District. And the goal is really to promote ride sharing in this corridor in the near term while the longer term capital projects are under development. Next slide. Um, some news about uh, the federal government's EV promotion activities and grant funding. Um, just last week, the Biden-Harris administration announced a series of actions to advance their vision of building 500,000 EV chargers by 2030. And these actions included um, publishing minimum standards for federally funded EV infrastructure, finalizing the Build America, Buy America implementation plan for EV charging equipment, and announcing that the first round of $2.5 billion in competitive grants for EV charging stations uh, will be coming very soon. And this is sometimes called the NEVI program, National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure program that's also part of the uh, federal infrastructure bill and uh, is being eagerly awaited by uh, a lot of communities. Next slide, please. So speaking of funding, we wanted to uh, share, as we do from time to time, just some quick high-level information about various grant opportunities uh, that we're aware of and that local agencies may wish to consider. So um, in addition to some of the federal programs that I've mentioned, uh, there are a number of state and regional opportunities shown here. Um, as we always do, we have forwarded information about these to local agencies as we receive it. And uh, we're happy to um, answer questions if uh, staff uh, wants to get in touch with specific questions on these. Um, there are a lot of funding opportunities right now. Uh, some of them are one time, some of them are ongoing. And uh, we're aware of a few agencies that are interested in applying for some of these already. Next slide. Um, after the holidays, activity is resuming with uh, meetings and events. And uh, this just shows some of the um, events that staff has participated in over the last few months. Um, everything from San Rafael Leadership Institute to presentations at the League of Women Voters and the Marin Conservation League. Um, and we have an upcoming um, discussion with the North Bay Leadership Council to promote the Marin Commutes program as well. Next slide. Uh, just noting that included in the EDR is the Caltrans monthly project and activity report for Marin County. Um, and I did want to add that um, sometimes the, there are projects that people may see around the county, especially storm repair or paving projects that may not be included in the report because they're kind of done by the maintenance division at Caltrans, and um, they have definitely been hard at work with uh, repaving and storm damage repairs over the last couple of months. Um, so folks are probably seeing some of that work uh, out and about, and um, they've issued many advisories 
uh, for this work, but um, if anyone is interested in getting on their lists or has questions, uh, you can feel free to reach out to TAM staff and we'll try to connect you with the right folks at Caltrans. Um, and uh, that concludes my report and I would be happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Anne. Turn to my colleagues, any questions? Commissioner Collin. Thank you, thank you, Anne. So my question is about the sea level rise funding and that's exciting because Boy, we understand the intersection and the impact of sea level rise uh, on our infrastructure. And I was curious how the very comprehensive 2017 Marin County Sea Level Rise Vulnerability Assessment, if you are able to build off of that, I don't think any of us want to be redoing work that's already been done. But if you could speak to that, because that was for us a very much a foundational document that Summer Fellows used. Yeah, for sure, Commissioner Collin, uh, if I can respond to that. So uh, we definitely do not want to duplicate work that's already been done. And we know there has been a lot of good work done already through the Baywave program. Uh, Caltrans has done two vulnerability assessments for Marin County for their facilities. Uh, there are some uh, local um, jurisdictions that have done other work on this. BCDC, uh, I think MTC, ABAG have all done work. Um, so I think we have a, a good understanding of where the vulnerabilities are. And the idea now is to really look at how that affects the transportation network and to start some work identifying potential solutions or concepts, as well as to kind of build a vocabulary around the county for some of the challenges and um, some of the potential solutions. So uh, we definitely do not want to repeat work that's already been done and are really looking to kind of continue to advance the discussion about sea level rise and how to respond. Wonderful. Thank you. Commissioner Carmel. Yeah, hi. <clears throat> um, and I got a question about the EV charging federal money, the $2.5 billion. Do you have a sense for timing of that? And do you have a sense for approximately what might end up in California and therefore in Marin and how that will be allocated? Um, I wish I did have a sense of the timing. I think last fall, everyone was expecting the program announcement to come out in December and then it didn't and then January and then it didn't. So at this point, we're just, you know, waiting for the USDOT to be ready to release it. Um, there are, I should clarify, there are actually two parts of the NEVI program. So one part is a formula um, program that comes to the states. So in California, I think that funding is coming to Caltrans or at least Cal STA, the State Transportation Agency. And they've developed a whole um, sort of framework with different tiers for different areas and kind of what order they'll plan to distribute the funds to different parts of the state. Um, most of Marin is not in the highest tier uh, under their rubric, so it's hard to say when that funding might be coming our way. On the other part of the program, the competitive grants, um, like many of these IIJA programs, you know, it is competitive. Uh, it will um, be probably um, of great interest to a lot of places all around the country, so it really isn't possible to say how much of that money might come to California or to Marin, but I think there is interest in Marin um, among some of the local agencies in applying for that funding. And Tam has had a few preliminary conversations along those lines. Okay, great. Yeah, just rough numbers, 500,000 um, chargers, you know, 300 million people in the United States. You know, if you scaled up to Marin County's population, it would be roughly 300 chargers. And I think we're 
like two or three times that level already. So if they're looking at that kind of penetration already, I guess the assumption is that we wouldn't be receiving very much of that money. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it is it's hard to predict because it it depends entirely on who applies during a given round and what the guidelines end up looking like. Um, and so, you know, that'll help determine what qualifies, who's eligible, and then how much interest there is. I understand. Thank you so much. Very helpful. Uh, thanks, Commissioner Carmel. Commissioner Blaustein. Thank you so much. Uh, so that was a great report, and it seems like there's quite a bit going on. Uh, I wanted to ask specifically about, again, on the uh, kind of following up on uh, Commissioner Carmel's comments, but looking at the select upcoming funding opportunities, it seems like there is quite a bit at the state level. And I'm wondering what conversations, pardon me and my dog, what conversations um, Tam might have already had uh, with regards to, for instance, the OPR resilience grant or the local transportation climate adaptation grant. And what kinds of, you know, what is the likelihood or what would you suggest where we might have the best opportunity to apply for some of these funds? These all look fantastic, but at the same time, what looks like a large pot of money when you think about everyone that's applying for it and who might be eligible may seem like less. So if you could offer a little bit of guidance on these exciting state, different state level grants, that would be really helpful. Sure. I might have to come back with, with some more details on some of these. I'm not um, that familiar with every one of them, but um, I mean, there is a tie into what I mentioned about the sea level rise planning work that we're about to undertake and uh, the fact that we are in a fortunate position of having funds in our measure available for this and that there's a lot of work that's already happened and um, will continue to happen here. And so we have actually discussed internally whether we should be considering uh, sort of augmenting um, the work that we're doing by applying for some of these additional planning funds. At this point, we're not sure that that is the best strategy because in some ways we're ready to go now. And if we apply for these grants, you know, often it's months, if not longer, before you can get started. Um, so that is, you know, definitely something that um, we have been talking about. And, you know, if there's any feedback from the, the board, we'd certainly be open to that. Um, and some of these other programs, for example, the uh, kind of the annual Caltrans um, Sustainable Transportation Planning Grant Program, TAM has applied for those funds in the past. It's actually what funded the part-time transit lane feasibility study that we did. Um, we submitted an application last year for uh, some technical work related to vehicle miles traveled mitigation sort of tools for local jurisdictions, and we are likely to resubmit that again this year. It wasn't funded last year, but it came very close, um, so we're probably going to submit that one again. I think there are some other agencies that will be planning to apply for some of these resilience funds as well um, around the county and around the region. So, um, you know, we also want to be cognizant of not competing too much with other local jurisdictions. There's always a bit of a balancing act with that. That's great. So then maybe I should just follow up with you and Jennifer about which ones we might pursue if they're relevant for our waterfront community, for instance, in Sausalito. Sure. Yep. Okay. Great. That. Thank you so much. Great. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Blaustein. Uh, any other commissioner questions before I go to the public? <clears throat> uh, not seeing any. Uh, as we move on, uh, now we're going to move on to uh, open time for public expression. Uh, if you have items that are not on the agenda that you would like to uh, speak to or the executive director's report, now would be the time to do that. Uh, I'll remind everyone of our three-minute time limit. 
and uh, I see a couple hands up. Uh, if you would like to speak, just go ahead and use the raised hand feature. First up is Clayton Smith. On a more mundane level, something that has concerned me, and I think many others driving about Central Marin, is the paucity of smart train ridership during the midday between downtown San Rafael and the ferry terminal, and its impact on vehicular circulation on Anderson Drive, the roadway bisected by the tracks. I have no idea how many people ride the train going to and from the ferry terminal during the peak commuting time period. But from my many observations waiting in traffic, looking into the train car windows, the train cars during the midday appear to be almost completely empty. Meanwhile, long lanes of vehicles, many in the construction trades serviced by the businesses located along the roadway are stuck in lengthy waits, all to the convenience of a paltry few passengers on the trains. Outside of the expense consequent to maintaining this largely underutilized service and the wasted fuel from the cars and trucks sitting waiting, I think there is the issue of the lack of consideration to the working class public attempting to conduct their business on the west side of Highway 101 during working hours. Would it not be of greater public benefit to continue this midday train service or to discontinue, excuse me, this midday train service. Also, we are, we're also our exact rider and fair revenue counts available on this particular train service available. And if so, where would one find them? Along these lines is the questionable use of the large double buses during the midday in Mill Valley where they are clearly outsized relative to the extremely low ridership. This is particularly problematic on the narrow congested beat up roadway of East Blythdale. I think it would be hard not to agree that much smaller vehicles would be more appropriate uh, in the given circumstances. And concerning the previous um, uh, presentation, I think it should be you should be reminded of the fact that currently sea level is rising at less than one eighth of an inch per year, which means it's rising at about one foot per century. And so I think this three foot um, uh, number you're using is uh, basically being used to pander a great deal of sense of urgency and alarm, which is really unnecessary uh, given the minimal amount of um, uh, danger this uh, presents to the actual functioning of our roadways. Thank you. Thank you, Clayton. Uh, next up is Ava. Thanks. Um, as long as someone has brought up the working class, I, I wanted to add um, some perspective from someone who is actually in the working class. Um, and I see that uh, my class is vastly underrepresented on a board uh, that is primarily white homeowners or uh, people who attended Sciences Po in Paris. I just, it's, it's kind of stunning. And unfortunately, I think it, it informs or it, it fails to inform a lot of the things you're making decisions on. I regret having to agree with Clayton Smith on, on anything, but occasionally I do. And, and I think his 
idea that um, there should be uh, smaller buses um, is is worthwhile, but honestly, that really doesn't say much. It, what it really should be is smaller buses that run more frequently, and in that way, you could have people, you know, be more interested in using uh, public transportation. There's a massive gap in between. Um, how these buses work, operate in Marin County. Um, if you're a wealthy person who lives in Mill Valley, you know, you hardly have to go to work anymore since the pandemic started. You just, you know, um, show up on Zoom meetings. Um, but for those who do go into the office still, um, you get on this very nice um, coach bus that, um, you know, picks you up and there's lots of them every morning. And, and you know, you pay your, you pay your fare and it's really, it's, it's almost like, you know, it's almost like being on a yacht. I mean, it's bizarre. Um, and everybody else, all the working class goes on the much bigger buses that run far less frequently. Um, and um, it's, it just isn't, it, it isn't informed by what we actually need. One of the reasons I commute by bike entirely now is that I, I simply can't afford um, to take the buses in Marin County. Um, and so I really, I, I really want to urge you to try to talk to more working class people before you vote on these things. Another thing I want to talk about uh, just briefly uh, is the, the whole push for E, um, you know, for, for electric bikes and um, electric cars and these charging stations. No one is talking about what this is doing to the countries um, where all the mining for the minerals for those uh, batteries are, are, you know, are coming from. Um, look at what's happening to the Congo. Look at, look at the labor that's going into this. Look at the poisoning of their water and their land because of this extractive business. Um, you and know, we could wrap up. Uh, how much time do I have? You're at three minutes right now. So all right, then I will I will continue on the next. Uh, thank you. I will stop now. All right. Thank you. Uh, any other uh, public comment? Uh, not seen any. We'll uh, we'll bring it back to the board um, for our consent calendar. Is there any any items to pull or motion to be made? I'll move the consent calendar. I'll second. I'm happy to second. Oh, sorry, Chance. Oh, uh, let's see. I think I got a motion by Commissioner Eklund, but the second was, was that Commissioner Catrano? Sure. All right. Sorry. sorry. I, I don't know if I got that right. Um, uh, we already took public comments. Any, any public comment on the consent items? Seeing none, we'll go ahead and call the vote. Commissioner Blaustein? Yes. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Collin? Aye. Commissioner Catrano? Yes. Commissioner Eklund? Aye. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Yes. Commissioner Cool? Yes. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Yes. Commissioner Ravazio? Yes. Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Vice Chair Lucan? Yes. Uh, consent passes. Um, I did see one hand go up during voting. Eva, is that for the next item or were you trying to get in on a consent item?
I'm confused because I thought that when we provided comment prior to consent, it was actually on the director's comment. I did. Um, I, I, I called for public comment on consent. And I didn't see any hands go up. Okay. But um, is did you bypass um, um, items not on the agenda? No. Okay. Is that coming up? Uh, no, we already we already took public comment uh, for items that were not on the agenda. Or somebody wanted to comment on the executive director's report. Uh, well, I thought that was what we're making so. our comment on. I, I thought that was what we were making on our comment on. Because right, my, I think you're supposed to call for public comment on each of these items. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll consult uh, with that, but historically that's how we've done things at TAM. Uh, we will definitely consult on that and uh, thank you for the feedback. Okay. All right, so we'll go ahead and move on to item number seven, uh, which is to accept uh, Marin Transit's 2022, I'm sorry, 2023 to 2028 short range, short range transit plan. Uh, I'm gonna turn it over to our executive director, Ann Richmond, uh, to introduce it and our guest. Hey, thank you. I'm actually gonna hand it off to uh, David Chan of TAM staff for a quick introduction. I'm David Chan, programming director. Uh, the item before you is an action item to accept Marin's Transit's 2023 to 2028 short range transit plan, uh, more commonly referred to as the SRTP. Uh, both the Measure A and Measure AA uh, recognize that Marin Transit is responsible for developing the SRTP periodically, and both plans direct TAM to accept the SRTP in a public forum, which is what we're doing today with this item. Uh, this process of accepting the SRTP has been happening since the inceptions of the uh, both sales tax uh, program. But before you take action on accepting the SRTP, uh, Nancy Whelan, General Manager of Marine Transit, will provide a presentation on the state of Marine Transit. Uh, she'll provide information on uh, ridership, uh, service change, uh, projects in development, and also fare policy. Uh, with that, I will stop and let Nancy take over. Uh, so thank you, Nancy. All right, thank you, David. And good evening, Vice Chair Lucan and commissioners. I am Nancy Whelan, General Manager at Marin Transit. And tonight I will be presenting the short range transit plan as David mentioned, and update you on some other priorities. I'm going to share my screen. If you can give me just a moment here, I will uh, do that and want to make sure that you can see the slides. Does that look good? Okay, great. And um, David already mentioned kind of the things that we will be going over today, but I wanted to start primarily with setting the context for the SRTP by giving a little bit of a ridership and revenue up update. We'll go through what's in the SRTP itself and then briefly discuss some of our near-term near activities that uh, include our service change proposal that Ann mentioned in her report earlier, some plans and projects that we have underway, and then uh, a bit of information about fares. So I want to start with uh, ridership and revenues since they are foundational to the SRTP we developed. And this chart shows ridership recovery of Bay Area transit operators and shows the percent of pre-COVID ridership uh, for November 2022 compared to November of 2019. So the pre-COVID being 2019, of course. 
And this chart, we, we updated every month. Uh, we've been doing that for many months running and Marin Transit has um, consistently led the region on COVID recovery. And we're shown in the bright blue bar, the dark blue bar, I guess I should say there, at, um, you can see that we, we are at about 85% for November. And when we look at more carefully at our fixed route ridership, it's really closing in on about 90%. So you can also see from this chart though that traditional commute focused services like BART, Caltrain and Golden Gate uh, are struggling to regain their riders who may be working remotely for at least a part of the work week. So then taking a look more carefully at our ridership, Marin Transit ridership, and this is our fixed route ridership. This chart shows the the, the ridership for four years and the light green line at the top there is 2019. So that's our pre-COVID year. And this is by month for the calendar year. Blue is the, is 2020. And so that bright blue line that dips down there uh, is really where you can see the onset of COVID in, in March of, um, of 2020. And then for 21 and 22, you can see a steady recovery of our ridership. So um, the dark green line uh, is 2022 and it's getting pretty close to the 2019 line. And so we're getting close to our around 250,000 passengers a, a month here on our fixed route system. It's a bit of a different story for Marin Access and those are our demand response or paratransit services. And this chart shows the same lines as the, the prior slide. The light blue line again shows that deep drop in um, with the onset of COVID there in March of 2020. Unlike fixed route, ridership on marine access services has plateaued uh, at less than half of the pre-COVID ridership. And it was about 43% specifically in, um, as of uh, comparing it to November of 2019. So, um, and it's been declining actually over the last few months. And we, we are looking into why this is, but certainly some of the reasons for this big dip or this lack of recovery, I should say, has been that there's the population that uses these services is far more cautious. They are older adults and are people with disabilities. Um, there have been slow levels of return to day programs and, and um, some of those programs are not, have not been back in person at all yet. Um, there are other community centers and things that are not fully open yet as well. And um, some of it is also, we know recently due to, to uh, reliability, our service reliability concerns, which are directly related to uh, driver recruitment and retention. <clears throat> Marine Transit has a variety of operating revenue sources. And over the past five years, <laughs> annual revenues have ranged from about $33 million to $37 million. Overall, our revenues have remained quite stable during this period. But I did wanna point out a couple of important elements from this bar chart. If we start at the top of the chart, the black bar represents federal operating support. And before the pandemic, we received around $3 million a year. So you can see the small black bars. Um, with the federal COVID relief bills, uh, there were three of them, the black bar grew significantly and um, in, in FY21 and 22, especially you can see how large a share of our operating revenues, the federal uh, amounts were. 
Next, you can see that a significant share of our revenues come from Measure AA, shown in the blue bar, so kind of midway there on the bars. The sales tax-based revenues, such as Measure AA and TDA, uh, remained relatively strong during the pandemic and uh, are projected to remain strong. Uh, because we could rely on more federal funding for operations during the pandemic, those black bars again, we didn't need to claim as much of the Measure AA. And that's why you see the blue bar shrinking to about 27% of our revenue in 2020-22 compared to 40% uh, pre-pandemic. So again, the, the revenue wasn't actually shrinking. The receipts weren't re shrinking that much. It's just that we were able to use our federal revenues and that way not claim as much of the Measure A and leaving that Measure A to be carried forward for future use. And then lastly on this chart, just wanted to focus on the green bar at the bottom. Um, and that's where we see our fair revenue, which, and you can see how it dropped during the pandemic in FY20 and 21 but it is recovering. So in FY22, we're kind of getting back up to the 2020 level again. And compared to traditional commute-focused services, we rely much less on fair revenue. You can see here, it's probably around 10% of the revenue comes from, um, from fares, whereas some of the other more commute-focused services like BART and Caltrain and whatnot are in the high 60s or 70s pre-COVID. So turning to the SRTP itself then, and particularly this year, the 2022 SRTP, first we, we do need to update the SRTP every two years to satisfy the requirements of Measure AA, as David mentioned, and also MTC's requirements in order to remain eligible for federal funding. So our last SRTP was adopted in February of 2020, and this update is really quite different than all of our previous SRTPs. This one is considered a mini SRTP, and it also follows a very different scope and much narrower scope that MTC developed to focus on financial planning and related service impacts within a five-year period. MTC released prescriptive guidance on how to do this mini SRTP update, and they also asked for descriptions of service changes during the pandemic, so what did we do? And then specific financial and service planning scenarios for the future. So they defined three fiscally constrained scenarios, uh, and they're listed here, of course, scenario one, where revenue drops to pre-COVID levels. Uh, level Scenario two, excuse me, is the same as scenario one, but fair revenue further drops to 80% of pre-COVID levels. And scenario three, where revenue drops to 85% of pre-COVID levels. They asked operators to then do a high-level service planning exercise to determine what we would do in response to these revenue scenarios. The scenarios were common to all Bay Area operators, and then um, they were tailored to assess the impacts being experienced by more fare-dependent agencies like Golden Gate, Caltrain, and, and BART. So because they focus so much on the revenues and particularly on the fair revenues, they are not particularly relevant to Marin Transit. So our staff recognize that the projected revenues in all three scenarios are much lower than the district's current and projected revenues. And we prepared a scenario zero, which was to illustrate what we realistically expect the next five years to look like for Marin Transit. So this 
uh, graph illustrates the four scenarios where you can see the divergence of the three MTC scenarios. Uh, that's scenarios one, two, and three from the top green line, which is Marin Transit scenario zero. Again, something we believe is more realistic in the way of, of revenues. Um, the, uh, you can see where the green line diverges from those other lines is really where our budget, our FY23 budget assumptions were. Uh, this, if you see, look at the lines that MTC forecasted for us, they showed us losing between 20% and up to a third of our revenue between now and next year. And some very dramatic event would have to happen that we currently don't uh, foresee for this to occur. Uh, additionally, we have reserves that we could use to smooth this transition, which means that the scenarios here are just not terribly real realistic for us. You can see here then we've identified what type of service reduction under these planning scenarios would occur. And um, scenario zero, which we, we built on our own, uh, we would operate, uh, we can continue to operate, I should say, at current service levels. Uh, we would be able to accommodate growth in the paratransit service. And um, we assume that our, our fixed route ridership would return to pre-COVID levels. So we wouldn't experience any service reduction under that scenario. Um, then you can see scenarios one and two, we projected that we would have to cut our service by 45%. Uh, our fixed route service that is, and then in scenario three, we'd have to reduce our service by 60%. So in summary, um, as we presented to the Marine Transit Board and the annual budget, we anticipate our near-term financial picture is stable. Uh, we don't foresee any major service cuts and uh, the service cuts that we did depict in that graph, of course, were shown just to fulfill the requirements that MTC had laid out. There are uncertainties and I'll speak to those in a moment as I, I think they're labeled challenges as we come up uh, on that slide. Additionally, we've built in some contingencies in our budgeting. So any anything that, um, in, any cuts that we might like, we might see are not going to be anywhere near as as uh, drastic as the scenarios that MTC had laid out. And of course, we're going to continue to monitor our financial condition as we always do, and then present any options for service changes to uh, the Marine Transit Board that may be required due to those those revenue changes. And then lastly, we will have a full SRTP uh, completed uh, for 2024, and that'll be um, brought both to the Marine Transit Board and, and to TAM. So just um, to kind of follow on with the SRTP effort, uh, in contrast to our financial picture, there has been a great deal of press coverage you may have seen about the transit fiscal cliff based on MTC's analysis of the SRTPs submitted by transit operators. So as we showed in the previous slides, our marine transit is not facing the fiscal cliff in the next five years. Uh, the MTC analysis showed that the fiscal and operating impacts vary widely among the different service types and markets served by the various Bay Area operators. Here are just a few of their key findings. Um, Fairbox dependent operators remain acutely vulnerable to slow ridership recovery. Collectively, MTC expects Bay Area transit operators to face a cumulative shortfall between two and a half and $3.3 billion over the next five years. And that significant range um, expressed in this possible shortfall forecast 
reflects the uh, deep uncertainty facing transit operating budgets over the coming years. Operators primarily serving riders without access to other modes of transportation have seen the most robust recovery. And that, as you can see, is very, very true for Marin Transit. And the fiscal cliff is not the only challenge facing operators. Um, for some agencies, operator recruitment and retention are significant, a significant challenge, uh, if not more so than the fiscal ones when it comes to restoring transit service to the levels operated pre-pandemic. And this is especially true for marine transit. So those are some of their findings. So moving on to um, where, where we are with our opportunities and challenges today, um, our ridership again is, and revenue are strong and comparatively stable, but we do have challenges and uncertainties on the cost and operating side. First, our reliability, our service reliability uh, and uncertainties on the cost, uh, excuse me, our reliability is worsening, has been worsening uh, due to traffic and uh, driver shortages. We're experiencing higher rates of missed service and late service than we have ever seen due to these factors. And to address this situation, we are proposing service changes in the near term. Second, uh, we are rebidding 60% of our fixed route uh, contracted service by the end of this year or soon at least. Um, the current labor market coupled with a lack of a dedicated operations and maintenance facility is expected to limit competition for this work. And then of course, labor and fuel costs can drive up those, the bids that we may get from the very few contractors we get bids from. Uh, lastly, we have a fleet. We have fleet electrification requirements that will be challenging to meet if we cannot get a parking and maintenance facility, and this has been a long-standing challenge that we are continuing to try to address. So, turning to some of what's up ahead here, uh, given these challenges, we do have a service change proposal currently under consideration. Uh, those changes align with service and current ridership demands and improve service reliability. Uh, most riders will still be able to make the same trips that they do today. Some may have to adjust which routes they take, the time of their travel, or make transfers to reach their destination. And this is considered a major service change. Uh, 12 of the 24 routes will be impacted, but it does entail, uh, it really at the end of it all, it's a minor reduction in service as uh, measured by service hours, but it streamlines the service to reduce duplication and create a more efficient schedule to improve our reliability. And it also tweaks the service to match to uh, current ridership patterns. So we are currently out and about uh, doing outreach and seeking feedback on the proposed service changes. In fact, there's a public meeting as we speak um, we are going to hold a public hearing on March 6th at our regular Marine Transit Board meeting, and the comment period will close then. Uh, our board will consider final service changes for adoption on April 3rd, and the changes then, the service changes, would go into effect on June 11th. Just the last couple of things to um, highlight for you, uh, some of the planning and project development coming up this year. I wanted to first thank TAM for supporting our OBAG grant application, which was recently awarded by MTC. Uh, this is a grant to invest in bus stop improvements and transit priority imp treatments on key bus corridors. 
and we're excited about this grant in particular because it is the first time we've been able to uh, fund uh, a look at how to speed up bus travel on city streets. Uh, regionally, we are participating in many regional transit coordination activities, uh, which have been underway since the pandemic. And uh, we will be working into the future on the regional network management in, in particular. And then also we were looking forward to participating in TAMS countywide transportation plan, the first one. Um, just wanted to give one more <laughs> shout out to an issue that we faced for a very long time, which is we have an increasingly urgent need for a new bus maintenance facility and yard. Uh, we need this to meet our fleet electrification requirements, uh, increase competition, as I mentioned, for the future service contracts, and also just to reduce the long-term risks of not having a facility uh, where we can park and maintain our buses. And we're looking for about a four to five acre site. So that's been on our uh, watch list for a while and continues to be more and more urgent. And then finally, just the, the last area of, of activity that I wanted to highlight is that we've been testing out several fare promotions uh, over the last 18 months and, and just recently did an evaluation of those. And we are gonna continue on with our fare work over the, the next several months. And key among those activities will be a fare collection study to prepare for the next version of Clipper, which is called Clipper 2.0. With that next version, we will have greater flexibility in offering different fares under, under Clipper. So we're looking forward to that study as well. And I think with that, I can take questions and I'll stop sharing here. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, we'll start with uh, Commissioner Fredericks. <clears throat> uh, good evening and thank you for the report. I have a question that you've probably heard before, but because it affects Tiburon, I would like to run by you again. Um, one of the proposed cuts is to the 219F that runs up in the hills to pick up commuters and take them to the ferry. And although I can't quite see if this is true, it seems like the schedule for the 219 itself that runs back and forth along Tiburon Boulevard isn't really matched to the commute ferry. I know that office reopenings are really slow. Uh, the ferry ridership is low. So I'm not asking you um, uh, to defend these decisions. I'm asking you if you can give us a little information about what triggers resumption of service because you're in that bind. If they're not riding, you can't give them the bus. And if there's not a bus, they're not riding. So, so what kind of data and where does it come from to trigger reopening of services? That's my first question. Sure. Um, so regarding the data and on the Route 219 specifically, that even though we have had great uh, ridership recovery across our, our fixed route services, the 219 is one of the routes that actually has not recovered very well. It's, it's in the 40 to 50 percent range. So that is one of the reasons that we did identify it as a potential uh, place for service adjustments. And the adjustment that we are making, as you noted, is really on um, the, the routing that goes up into the hills. So uh, it is still, you know, still a route that we will continue. To your question about when we can resume service, um, the thing that's so tricky for us right now, and, and one of the major reasons that we are curtailing service isn't so much because of, of financial issues, it's really because of the driver shortages. 
we literally are having to, yes, to, to trim our service because we do not have enough drivers. And so it's resulting right now in less reliable service. So we're missing in late service. And so we just were trying to size our service to uh, the labor pool that we think is, is yeah. to be expected. Thank you. That's very useful because I know that particular route is one of the heavily subsidized fares. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and my second um, is it's just a remark. Um, I don't know if you watch our, our meetings, which are fascinating, but um, at the last board meeting, our chair, Brian Colbert, uh, made sure that the uh, Marin Transit Maintenance Facility uh, was explicitly listed as one of our legislative priorities. He's, he's a wonderful commissioner. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Fredericks. Um, Commissioner Carroll. Uh, good evening. Um, I'd like to hear a little bit more about the driver shortage. I was questioning uh, the general manager of the Golden Gate Bridge District the other day about this because it seems this week I've gotten a flurry of uh, notices that um, as of the other day they canceled over 30 routes and then I noticed a bunch more in my inbox this morning. So it's probably over 40 runs that were canceled. Um, and quite frankly, his answers weren't very satisfying. One of them was that there is a driver recruitment class that'll be graduating soon. Okay, um, for Marine Transit, what's the current situation exactly? How many are you short? Is there any driver training classes going on um, along those lines? And I have other questions too. So yes, on driver recruitment, just to um, note that we actually have four different contracted uh, organizations that we contract for our services and Golden Gate Transit is, is one of our, our, our contractors. So each of them is responsible for recruitment, but we are very much paying attention to that and trying to assist in any way that we can. So um, what, what I can add to what I, I, I know about driver recruitment is, as you all know, uh, unemployment is very, very low right now. And um, we have tried to address the recruitment by with our with our contractors by offering incentives to uh, to basically signing bonuses, retention bonuses, referral bonuses, that sort of thing. Um, we have also on for one of our contractors recently. We just uh, our board approved a wage increase, which incre increases mm -hmm. the contract cost. So those are just some of the things that that we are are working on. Um, this is not just a problem here. Uh, as you probably know, this is a national problem. So I, I think it's something that, that the entire transit industry is struggling with. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm still a little disappointed. There's, you can't give me really hard numbers of uh, how many were short, but okay. Uh, just sort of moving on in the same theme. Has any consideration been given um, to dropping the Muirwood shuttle program uh, to keep those drivers on our local routes and instead dumping that back to the park service or private contractors to deal with. Um, it yeah. would seem, you know, this is not a primary part of your operation to provide that service. Uh, has that been considered at all? 
Yes, we actually put out an RFP for that very service uh, recently, and we're still evaluating uh, proposals. And so it's an active procurement. But yes, it, the answer is yes, we have. When do you, what kind of a time frame do you expect to decide? Pretty, pretty soon here, I think, you know, in the because we, we need to probably take something uh, to our board for approval in April. Okay. And then uh, I'm just curious if you've gotten any comments or feedback on the uh, changes to the 29 route in Larkspur. They're kind of substantial. You're eliminating that part in the canal and the part I own College Ave. And I'm just curious if there been any responses. Um, I'm just going to, from the top of my head, I do know that we did get a comment uh, last night at the public meeting asking that we run that service, the new 29, we're calling it the new 29, um, that goes out to East Corte Madeira uh, to run that on weekends, because right now we're planning it to be a weekday service. So that's the one comment that I know of. Okay. I'm just curious. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Carroll. Uh, Commissioner Ravazio. Hi, thanks everybody. Um, I have um, some questions about the the service changes, which, um, as you've said, are are pretty major for some people. Um, I ha actually swim at the College of Marin, and I overheard a really uh, interesting conversation by some nursing students who live in the canal area, who were very angry, and they were wondering whether they were going to have to stop their college education because they couldn't get to the College of Marin. And they were talking about, could they pitch in together and get Ubers and so forth. And, you know, College of Marin is still working to build its way back uh, from uh, COVID. And I think this is the time to really invest in those things that fulfill these diversity, equity, and inclusion criteria. And we do know that 56% of the students at College of Marin are minority students. So I would love to see some extra consideration given for that. The, the Getting rid of the loop through the canal makes it almost impossible for these um, gals to get to school unless they, you know, get up an hour earlier and stay out an hour later. Um, and so I just I just think it's a big mistake to uh, cut back on those things where we're really investing in our future nursing supply and our future teachers and and so forth. And so I know I'm supposed to be asking a question. So my question is, you know, what is the rationale behind that? And uh, just to finish off, I would say that if we really want more drivers, we're just going to have to pay more. If we if our wages were higher for drivers, the, the driver shortage would go away. My my uh, wait, how do I turn that into a question? Isn't it true that if we did increase the um, the wage for these drivers that we would be able to get more of them to sign on? Thank you. Sure, let me let me start with the rationale for the change on the twenty two. Um, first, it, the rationale for almost all of these is either traffic, but but in this case, I would say it's driver availability again. So, and I'll come to that that question in a second. The other thing is that, in fact, from the canal to College of Marin, there are alternate routes. And that's another way that we kind of evaluate where we remove service or change service. So the canal service, you, you may have to make a, a change at the San Rafael Transit Center. So again, that's an area where you may, may need to transfer. But for example, the 23, you can still use the 23 to get to College of Marin, the 68 to 238. So those will be operating. And, and what we're doing is we're 
we're canceling that service after eight o'clock at night. So you have the 22 before eight o'clock and then you still have alternatives after eight o'clock. So that was how we, we got to that rationale, fully aware that um, serving a, a diverse community is important. I, you know, um, majority of our writers are um, people who speak a language other than English and who also are low income. 57% uh, of our writers are, are low income. So we're very sensitive to that and we take that into consideration and in, you know, how we look at, at all these routes. Um, paying drivers more, to your, your question about that. Uh, yes, I think we, in fact, our board has been very supportive of increasing driver wages. We've done that a few times, in fact, in the last, um, I'm gonna say three to four years, we've, we've actually asked our contractors to do that. So we have, our wages are pretty well competitive. I was just looking today, we're actually, we do pay, pay more than um, a lot of others. I think working in Marin is of course a challenge, just you know, distances and things like that. So I think that's, um, it, it's, it's a great, great question and, and uh, we're always trying to solve that. So just one follow-up is it, it, with all the public comment that you're taking in, is there any chance that um, there will be changes made to keep the existing service? I mean, you're only, it's only a loop that goes from Bonaire to college. I, I mean, you're, you're cutting off uh, the route just a, a short, it's probably about a half mile. Is it, do, if you get enough public comment, will you save that route or is it already a done deal? We, it is, it's not a done deal. Um, again, I think the issue is going to be then we would have to find an alternative way to squeeze some service out. So, because we just don't have the drivers, but we'll, you know, we'll see if there is a way to do that. Sure. If we get co public comment on that, for sure. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Ravazio. Commissioner Moulton Peters. Thank you. Just a last um, quick question. Nancy, can you remind us what the fares are? for riding Marin Transit. I think all TAM commissioners might be interested in that. Yes, um, so our fares, adult cash fare is $2. If you use Clipper, it's $1.80. If you um, are an older adult, uh, 65 plus, or have a disability, you uh, ride for a dollar. Students also ride for a dollar. Um, we have a lot of other deeper discounts. Those are, <clears throat> um, that's just kind of the, the basic fares. And so there are, we have a multitude of programs to uh, provide free, for example, um, free uh, youth uh, passes to students who are on uh, free and reduced uh, lunch programs. We have uh, a Clipper Start program is for low-income adults, and that provides a 50% discount off of the $2 fare. Um, the, uh, I'm forget forgetting all of the others. We have a low-income fare assistance program for people who are on um, Medicare, and that, that have, provides different levels of subsidy on our paratransit program or provides a fixed route transit pass. Um, the pass itself, if you buy a monthly pass, is $40, so you can ride as much as you want for uh, uh, the month. Uh, if you are senior or disabled, it's $20 a month, and you can ride unlimited rides on our fixed route service. So yeah, we've got quite a good amount of discounts, and we have not raised our fares in uh, over 20 years. Thank you. Commissioner Carmel. Yeah. Thanks. Just following on that question. So you have um, on your presentation, 
um, this your revenue chart. It looks like roughly that that little green part looks like it's actually ten percent of your total revenue comes from fares. Is that about right? Um, I'm sorry. Did you say two percent or ten? Ten percent. Yeah, like ten percent. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And um, so my question is, I mean, your fares are very low, so I'm assuming that that's an unusual uh, revenue makeup for um, the other transit operators that you mentioned in the prior slide. Um, is that true? That generally, you know, uh, transit operators generate more of the revenue from from fares than what you do. Um, the the commute oriented operators, yes. So the you know BART, uh, Golden Gate Transit, and Caltrain, for example, yes, they're in the you know 50, 60 percent. Some of them, um, but. For the smaller, uh, and I would say suburban operators like Marin Transit, that fare box uh, is, the, the amount of fares is pretty common. And many of us do serve lower income people. And that's why we do keep the fares low, try to keep the fares low. Great, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Commissioner Carmel. I think that wraps up uh, Commissioner uh, questions, unless there are any others. We'll go ahead and move on to public comment now. Uh, and I see two hands up. Um, let me get our timer going and we'll go start with Clayton. Welcome, Clayton. Yeah, um, I want to go back to your um, motor pool operation. And, um, oh, excuse me, that's military talk for your storage facility for your buses and your maintenance yard. Um, recently, Toyota has begun shifting its emphasis away from electrification of automobiles um, using the current uh, technologies. And instead is now going to be increasingly focused on hydrogen fuel cells. And so I think that this is something that... Uh, looking into the future, because just as an example, on the Ford 150 uh, hybrid pickup, uh, last year they had to increase the uh, MSRP on that by $9,800 because of the increase in the cost of the materials required to build the batteries. And um, this is just the beginning of what is going to be a, a very almost um, hyperbolic uh, move in the um, cobalt and lithium uh, pricing market. Uh, if you look at the truth, the crust of the earth that is accessible has only a limited amount of these materials, and we will rapidly exhaust them at the current pace that we're going. And I can say that this is something that many miners and people investment investing in the mining industry uh, are looking at. And unless we're willing to tear up the bottom of the oceans and poison the um, aquatic life for all time, we're going to have to move to some other model of storage, energy storage, which is one of the reasons why Toyota, the world's much largest uh, auto producers, are moving now into the area of hydrogen fuel cells uh, as a technology for, um, for transportation. And so I'm... Uh, urging your uh, head of uh, your, uh, whoever doing your maintenance work and your future purchasing work to begin putting that into your plans. 
because it's going to be coming up very shortly. Thank you. I uh, thank you, Clayton. I uh, will go next to Ava. I'd like to thank Pat Ravazio for, for pointing out um, how damaging it will be for, um, for service from the canal to be cut in any way. Um, it's almost as if with the advent of the opportunity zone um, in the canal district, all uh, the future planning seems to be for a highly gentrified canal district. Um, it's, it's a little, um, wow, it's, it's a little scary. Um, I did want to point out that uh, much was made of how cheap the fares are. And I want to, I want to say that, that, that is, that is hitting a crowd. I, you know, I love urban Carmel, but you know, he used to work for McKinsey and he's, he's worked in finance and $2 sounds like a pittance to him. Um, a dollar 80 on a clipper card probably sounds like a pittance and all these benefits that you can apply for, which you have to jump through a few hoops to get that. Well, it's almost like transit is free. It's not, you know, for people who are hanging on by a fingernail, especially for students who are just trying to get through rent and rent is going up in the canal because of the opportunity zone. They're really under enormous strain. Um, if you were really backing public transportation, you would have made it free. That would have eliminated the lure of having a private car for many poor people. I can't tell you how many poor people rely on their cars because they're poor. I mean, they cannot afford um, to be at the mercy of transit that, as you pointed out, hasn't shown up. Why isn't transit showing up? Because there's been a decades-long attack on labor. Uh, you know, bus drivers have been under assault. I, you know, I was up at uh, I was up at Mike Rowe's house in Belvedere yesterday protesting. This is a guy who's been funded by the Koch brothers uh, to uh, spew an anti-labor, anti-minimum wage, um, anti-worker safety message for decades now. And I mean, he is the ultimate you know, new Marin character, uh, the old Marin, um, which was, you know, much more middle-class and much more based on, you know, um, people who did okay in labor unions. That's all gone. It's hedge fund managers, it's Coke funded propaganda masters like Mike Rowe. And this is the new normal. Uh, you need to step in front of this and, and cut this out. I noticed that, uh, uh, Patty Garbarino just got, uh, uh, you know, sent to GGB. Uh, here now we have an heiress representing, supposedly representing, the interests of working class people who are going to rely on transit. Ava, I mean, this you is could wrap all up back. Your comments, you're at it's three all minutes. back. It's it's you've got you've got to make a decision, and and part of the responsibility. Thank, thank you, is Ava. Your, your time is up. Thank you. Uh, any other public comment? Uh, not seen any. Uh, we'll go ahead and bring it back to the board. Uh, this is an action item as both uh, Measure A and Measure AA uh, require us to um, uh, approve uh, the short range transit plan. Um, so I'll see if there's any uh, comments or additional questions or if we're ready for action. I move acceptance of the plan. Second, Rodoni. 
Uh, so we have a motion by Commissioner Moulton Peters, a second by Commissioner Radoni. Uh, Commissioner Ravazio, I saw your hand up. Did you have a quick comment before we vote? I'm just wondering, what are we actually voting to approve right now? The the whole plan or just the presentation that we've received? Uh, correct. We, we are voting to accept a Marin Transit short range transit plan uh, as required by both TAMS Measure A and Measure AA. Um, and anything else you wanted to add? No, that's uh, that's how I would characterize it as well. Just accepting the SRTP. So even the service cuts that are going to be discussed on March 6th, are we are approving them now? No, there at Marin Transit, there will be a full pu public hearing uh, on the there's public outreach taking place right now. And then there'll be a public hearing on that. Uh, Nancy, do you want to give any details on that process? Thank you. Yeah, no, that, yeah, it is a separate uh, item from the SRTP. Okay, uh, so we had a motion by Commissioner Moulton Peters and a second by Commissioner Radoni. We'll call the vote. Commissioner Blaustein? Aye. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Collin? Aye. Commissioner Catrano? Uh, Commissioner Eklund? Aye. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Chemnitzer? Yes. Commissioner Cool? Yes. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Yes. Commissioner Ravazio? Yes. Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Vice Chair Lucan? Yes. Uh, that passes. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, next up on our agenda is item number eight to review and approve the fiscal year 21 22 um, uh, COC uh, TAM annual report. Um, we are joined by our COC chair, but I'm going to start with uh, our executive director, Ann Richmond, to introduce this item and introduce the COC chair. Thank you very much, Chair Lucan. So, um, as noted, we are pleased to welcome Peter Pelham to join us tonight. Peter is the chair of the TAM Citizens Oversight Committee, and he will be reporting on the annual report. Uh, but before he starts, I just wanted to quickly thank um, the COC and especially the subcommittee, uh, as well as TAM staff for the effort that they put into this report uh, really this year and every year. And I think every year we try to make the report a little bit distinctive and better than the one before. And um, I think this year's report is looking very sharp. Um, so this is an action item to review and approve uh, the report, um, and uh, with that, I will turn it over to Peter. Thank you, Anne. Actually, pretty much said. Um, good evening, uh, Vice Chair Lucan and Tam Commissioners. I'm making this presentation as the chair of the Citizens Oversight Committee, and I'm pleased to present the COC portion of the 2022 Tam annual report to you. Um, a little background, COC provides up 16 dedicated years representing 12 geographic and specific interest groups in Marin County. We regularly meet to review TAM activities and to ensure that expenditures, both for the half-cent uh, transportation sales tax and the $10 vehicle registration fee, are consistent with voter-approved transportation measures. This year, the COC was honored to be the primary public forum to review and consider amendments to the expenditure plan for the $10 vehicle registration fee, Measure B. 
As you know, this was the first review of Measure B, which provided the opportunity for the COC, our agency partners, and the public to analyze current project program priorities and consider potential amendments. After a series of meetings to receive information and provide input, the COC unanimously agreed on modifications to the expenditure plan being presented for approval tonight. The COC, especially the members of the annual report subcommittee, which are Alan Bortel, Kay Noguchi, Kevin Haggerty, and Kingston Cole, also enjoyed being part of the development process. The annual report provides a comprehensive overview of the progress made on critical transportation projects and programs in Marin County. Each year, the report evolves a little bit. And this year we have updated the design and content to be easier to digest and draw attention to the highlights and accomplishments during 2022, which have been many. On behalf of the COC, I would like to thank the community of Marin, our many partner agencies and community organizations for their ongoing support for transportation improvements in our county. Together, we continue to make progress for enhanced mobility and access in Marin. I would also like to thank the board for your attention to our contribution to the 2022 annual report for allowing the COC to be part of this process and for your continued commitment to financial transparency and reliable reliability to the voters of Marin. Thank you. Great. Uh, well, thank you, Peter. Thank you for your, your long service on the COC there. I'll, um, and if there's nothing else, we'll um, look to my colleagues if there's any questions. Not seeing any. Um, That's great. Peter, sorry, we can't uh, uh, thank you in person. You, you missed this by, by a month, but uh, uh, let's see if we have any public comment. Uh, I see Ava's hand is up. Ava, did you want to speak on the Yes, yeah, so I, you know, it's it's interesting that you have this committee that's headed by the former head of Bank of Marin Retail Banking. And I'm just wondering if you're ever going to put together a committee with any um, real representation of working class people, uh, because you're you're making decisions about things that affect working class people and poor people. It if impacts our lives a lot more than it impacts the lives of the people who are making the decisions. We don't have the options of, you know, calling into our jobs or, uh, you know, driving when we don't feel like walking or riding our bikes or we can't afford the bus or the bus doesn't show up. Um, you know, so many of these decisions are, um, you know, it's, for, for a lot of poor people, it's whether you're going to, these decisions you're making are going to impact whether we're going to be able to make enough money for rent or not. And to have the head of retail banking for Bank of Marin, which is an institution that has not exactly uh, reached out too much to minority communities, I will say. I have heard a lot of input from that, from Marin City and from the canal. Um, you know, that this is the person who was in charge of the citizens hey, oversight. Hey, the the, the, topic, is, the that topic is the COC report, uh, not the individual I, I, But But this is highly relevant, Mr. Lucan, and I would, I would highly recommend that you not interrupt me to say that, to suggest 
that the composition, the, the racial and class composition of this oversight board is somehow untethered to the report you're producing for an almost entirely white um, Transportation Authority Marin uh, board, you know, it, it, it beggars the imagination. I'm begging you to do better at, at making sure that working class and poor people are represented not only on your board, but um, on the committees you put together. Again, these are decisions that impact our lives far more harshly than they will ever impact yours. And that is why it matters. And, and Mr. Lucan, I do not appreciate being told that, that my comments, for as little time as I am provided, have to uh, conform to your wishes for what I say. Thank you. Vice Chair Lucan, can I, can I make a rebuttal to that? Uh, please, Peter. Real quickly. Um, I may have been head of retail banking, but retail banking is the branch network of a community bank, which is headquartered in Marin. And, and the majority of the people that I managed were paycheck to paycheck, minority employees. Some of them lived in uh, poor parts of Marin and some of them commuted from outside. So I think I truly represented from my perspective as the head, I was representing major um, Marin employees, ma major Marin employers. Many of those employees are um, paycheck to paycheck employees. Right. Well, thank, thank you, Peter. And uh, thank you. Please extend our appreciation to the rest of the COC um, um, for their service. I did see one other hand uh, that went up. Uh, we'll go to this and then we'll bring it back to the board. Uh, uh, Damien? Hi, how are you? Thank you, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, thank you. Uh, regarding the, I think it's okay for me to comment on, on that comment since you allowed him to speak on Bank of Moran. Excuse me, and I have one who's been in the community um, and paying great attention to how the banking industry has treated uh, its low-income underserved communities. And I would say that Bank of Moran has not paid any attention to the well-being as as I, I'm ending with this. Dan, I, you I do have to keep you on topic no, because okay, no, 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 it's on, is this not on, on the agenda. Sir, you you allowed him to speak about his bank. I can speak uh, my words regarding that. You allowed him to speak, so allow Please me share to your speak. comments. So, as far as how they serve the community, how they support the community, they only support white businesses. Period. Thank you. Thank you, Damian. Uh, I'll bring it back and keep us on topic here to remind us that what we're talking about is uh, not not the composition of the COC. That's not on the agenda tonight. We're not appointing or changing any members of the COC. This is the annual report. We do this every year. Um, so I'll bring it back to the board um, for action. My God. Would somebody uh, like to make a motion to go ahead and to approve uh, the uh, COC TAM annual report? I'll move it. I'll second it, Rodoni, and I would ask staff to come back with some information about the COC when uh, membership of that uh, committee are up and open for applications so the public can be reminded of opportunities to join that that uh, committee. Yeah. Great, thank you. Uh, so I, I missed the, the first or the motion came from Commissioner? Fredericks. Commissioner Fredericks and then a second by Commissioner Radoni. We'll go ahead and call the vote. 
Commissioner Blaustein? Aye. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Collins? Aye. Commissioner Catrano? Yes. Commissioner Eklund? Aye. Commissioner Fredericks? Yes. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Yes. Commissioner Kuhl? Yes. Commissioner Moulton Peters? Yes. Commissioner Ravazio? Yes. Commissioner Rodoni? Yes. Vice Chair Lucan? Yes. Uh, that passes. Thank you, Peter. Um, you. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll go ahead and move on to uh, item number nine, which is uh, an update on a return to in-person meetings in compliance with AB 2449. I'll turn it over to our executive director, Ann Richmond. Thank you, Chair. So I'm sure many of you have uh, been through these decisions and requirements with your local appointments, but uh, we wanted to bring this item to you as the TAM board. And uh, I do have a brief presentation to walk through, and this is um, an action item. So um, as uh, we all know, prior to the pandemic, TAM conducted public meetings that were subject to the Brown Act uh, in person, including the executive committees and the board of commissioner meetings. Um, you can go to the next slide, please, Jennifer. And uh, through various um, states of emergency, executive orders and legislation um, at the start of the pandemic, uh, local government was allowed to uh, the ability to conduct public meetings virtually during the pandemic. Um, however, last fall, Governor Newsom announced that the state of emergency would end on February 28th, 2023, uh, with the option to allow local governments to conduct meetings, not an option, but um, with the kind of legislative direction to conduct meetings in accordance with rules of recently passed AB 2449, uh, as well as the original Brown Act rules. So um, just some quick kind of reminders about what those uh, legislative directives are. If you can go to the next slide, please. So the Brown Act requirements for virtual participation by commissioners um, are shown on this slide in a summary form. Um, so if a commissioner wanted to attend meetings by teleconference under the Brown Act rules, um, they would need to have the agenda posted at each teleconference location, and the agenda would need to identify each teleconference location. Those locations would need to be accessible to the public and meet ADA requirements, um, and members of the board of the public would need to be able to have an opportunity at each of those teleconference locations to address members of the board. Um, a quorum of the board would have to participate in the meeting from locations within Marin. All votes would need to be taken by a roll call and technology used may be um, audio or both audio and visual. Next slide, please. Under AB 2449, which was uh, passed in the last legislative session, uh, there are some additional cases for allowing uh, remote meeting attendance. Um, namely under a just cause definition or under emergency circumstances as defined. So uh, the just cause definition is um, shown on this slide and is uh, really uh, defined to mean only these things. So a child care or a caregiving need, uh, contagious illness that prevents the member from attending in person, a need related to a physical or mental disability, or travel while on official business of TAM or of another state or local agency. So if a commissioner wanted to uh, invoke these provisions uh, to attend remotely under just cause, uh, we would need them to notify staff as soon as possible. Um, and that could be at the start of a meeting. 
um, and uh, commissioners would be uh, limited to using this no more than two times per calendar year. And if they were uh, doing this, they would need to disclose when he, whether an individual 18 years or older is in the room with them at the remote location. Um, if you go to the next slide, uh, those are the requirements for uh, virtual participation under emergency circumstances, which is also defined specifically to mean a physical or family medical emergency that prevents a member from attending in person. So similar to the just cause provisions, um, if a commissioner wanted to use the emergency circumstances provision and met those definitions, they would need to um, request actual approval from the board and would need to make a separate request for each meeting in which remote attendance is sought. Uh, so um, the approval would need to happen at the earliest opportunity um, at a board meeting. Um, and the member would need to explain or provide a general description of the need for uh, invoking this provision. And again, would need to disclose whether any individual 18 years or older is in the room with them. Next slide, please. So given those requirements and the end of the emergency order in just a few days now, um, starting on March 1st, uh, staff is recommending that the executive committee and the board of commissioner meetings resume meeting in person. The executive committee meetings will be held at the TAM office, which is located at 905th Avenue in San Rafael. And the board of commissioners meetings would be held at the board of supervisors chambers in room 330 at the Marin County Civic Center. Um, if a member were to um, need to participate remotely, they would need to consider the requirements of AB 2449 and the Brown Act, and we would ask that they notify staff as early as possible um, if they were to do this. Uh, we do intend to continue offering um, Zoom participation to be available to the public for these meetings, um, and their public is also welcome to participate in person. So um, this is an action item to approve these recommendations for the meeting formats starting March 1st. Um, and uh, I would also just add on a little bit of a more um, sort of uh, friendly note, if you will, that for the first TAM board meeting back in person on March 23rd, uh, we are planning just a brief sort of informal reception just before the meeting to welcome back the, uh, the board members and staff so uh, please hold that time on your calendars if you are available. And uh, with that, we would ask for your approval of these recommendations. Great, thank you, Anne. Uh, any questions about our return to in-person in March? I know all the different boards we sit on, we've, we've are familiar and been getting ready for this for some time. Not seeing any. Um, any public comment? Not seeing that either. So who wants to make a motion so that we can all see each other in March? I'll make so that move. Well, I'll second. <laughs> we got a motion by Commissioner Carmel and a second by Commissioner Blaustein. We'll call the vote. Commissioner Blaustein? Yes. Commissioner Carmel? Yes. Commissioner Carroll? Yes. Commissioner Collin? Aye. Commissioner Cutrano? Yes. Commissioner Eckland? Aye. Commissioner Fredericks? Commissioner Fredericks? You betcha. Commissioner Chemnitzer? Yes. 
Commissioner Cool. Yes. Commissioner Moulton Peters. Yes. Yes. Commissioner Ravazio. Yes. Commissioner Rodoni. Yes. Vice Chair Lucan. Yes. All right. And the last item out that item passes. Uh, the last one up on our agenda tonight is a presentation on the project development process. Uh, this is just a discussion item. I'm going to turn it over uh, back to our executive director. Unmuting, maybe for one of the last times here. Um, thank you very much, Chair Lucan. So uh, this item is a little different from some of our typical items um, with uh, quite a few new board members and even for some who have been part of TAM for a long time, we thought it might be beneficial to revisit some of the basics of TAM with a few short presentations on different topics. Um, so just kind of as, as background information for some of the more you know decision-oriented items that will come your way. Um, so today's topic is about capital project development, and uh, we plan to come back in future meetings with additional items potentially on funding, and on local projects and sort of TAM's role with that. Um, so the intent of this is really to provide a high level overview of the project development process. So examples of the different stages of project development. We're really not meaning to go into the details on any particular project. Um, and I would also like to note that um, usually a lot of the work that will be described happens at the staff level. With the board, we try to focus on policy, on funding, on certain major milestones or decision points, um, but we thought it would be useful to show you an overview of the entire process. Um, so the project management team, uh, Dan Cherrier, Nick Nguyen, and Bill Whitney put this together with support from some of the other staff, and uh, Bill Whitney will be presenting tonight. So I will turn it over to Bill. Uh, thank you, Ann. Uh, good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Bill Whitney, Project Manager. I am pulling up my screen. And this evening, I am joined by Nick and Dan to answer and respond to any questions that you may have. Tonight, we will be reviewing a process that we follow to develop a public works project. Um, there are basically two methods that we follow. Um, one is for routine maintenance, and that is typically done with your in-house maintenance staff, and typical items would be pothole maintenance, uh, restriping, minor repairs to your public buildings and facilities, uh, park maintenance and landscape maintenance. Um, the other method is capital projects that are implemented using public contracting. Those are usually larger projects and consist of repaving roads, uh, drainage projects, uh, sidewalks and bike paths and park upgrades. There are generally five phases that we follow. Uh, an initial concept would be developed in a feasibility or planning study. Um, then we will use the findings from that to enter into the next phase, which is the environmental document. We often use the project approval environmental document or PAED that you will often see in some of our reports. 
another important phase is the right away, which you demonstrate you have the rights to build your project. Uh, then you go into the final design, and then the fun phase is the construction. So we start off with the feasibility study, and the feasibility study is, is a concept that we have to make improvements to our community, and we do assess the potential of this concept for success and also define the expected cost and benefits. Uh, feasibility study can often be used also to gain and develop stakeholder support and further develop the concept. An important phase of this is also that we can use a feasibility study as a basis to secure additional funding to advance to the next phase. I'll do a few case studies, if I may. Um, so this is a really good example of a, of a great feasibility study that we did way back as a community back in 2004 that looked at making um, a path, multi-use path improvements in Central Marin. And the project was referred to as the Central Marin Ferry Connector Project. And this project had multiple group of um, stakeholders. It was led by the city of Larkspur. Uh, it had staff from the town of Corte Madera, the county of Marin, the Golden Gate Bridge District, uh, the Association of Bay Area Governments, uh, Caltrans, uh, the Marin Bicycle Coalition staff participated, and the San Francisco Bay Conservation and Development Commission. Uh, the result of that study was on the right side, the graphic that showed a couple of uh, different alignments that could be further studied. Uh, the next phase is the, the environmental document. And in that phase, we we use we really established the project limits and project footprint. Uh, we start to develop some of the engineering can, to identify the characteristics and the project components. Uh, we formally notify uh, the public and state and local agencies that a project is under consideration. And generally, we follow two environmental laws in this phase. One is the California Environmental Quality Act, or CEQA, and the other is the National Environmental Policy Act, or NEPA. NEPA is used when you have, you follow that when you have federal funds involved with your project. We begin this with an initial study, and so we start looking at the projects uh, where it's occurring and its natural environment, uh, its built environment, or potential community uh, impacts, or, or many other areas as part of the initial study. Through the initial study, we generally come out with three different types of determination. One would be the uh, exemption. So an exemption would typically be something like uh, you're just repaving a road in your community. Uh, the next level would be the initial study with a negative declaration or mitigated negative declaration. And, and that's important that you have identified potential impacts, but those impacts could be mitigated to less than significant levels. And then finally, uh, an environmental impact report. Uh, the, the CEQA documents can be approved at the local level um, by cities, towns, transit agencies, or TAM. 
But the NEPA document is really an FHWA, Federal Highway Administration document, and approval of that level of document has been delegated to Caltrans. Caltrans does have an additional step that I'd like to mention, and they require uh, a companion document that we call a project report. And that's more of an engineering document, but uh, it's an important, important um, element that Caltrans has identified as part of its project development procedure manual. And so as we advance this uh, process through the environmental phase and it's approved, uh, the project is, is deemed approved and then can uh, proceed into the final design phase. And typically, um, project funding must be identified during this phase or reasonably identified that can be achieved before that can be certified. And complicated project, projects in sensitive resource areas can take uh, multiple years to develop. So the project that I would refer to as a Central Ferry Connector took two to three years just to get through this phase. And, and other more complicated projects could take much longer, such as the Marin Sinomoneros. A critical component of this phase is the resource agency permitting. Um, and this can be an extensive process that can possibly potentially increase the scope and cost of a project. And it is typically involved with many different resource agencies um, from federal government, state government, and local government. And they all have a different resource that they're, they're, they're really um, tasked with protecting. And so sometimes as staff, as we're developing this, we must navigate this, um, this uh, complex process to get approval from all of these agencies that are listed. So another case study is again, the Centrum and Ferry Connector. So that was sponsored by TAM and we did uh, approve a mitigated negative declaration environmental document uh, that had a lot of conditions of approval uh, both on-site, during construction, uh, after construction with revegetation re efforts. And then in this case, it also uh, had an off-site component. Uh, the on-site restrictions uh, had protected the, the um, endangered species uh, where we actually had to stop the construction during the bird nesting season, do surveys, and then if no nests were found, we could commence operations or wait a given time period. On the offsite mitigation I'd like to mention is the uh, uh, restoration of habitat in the Hal Brown Park area. And we worked with the Marin County Parks Department to develop a plan that restored about an acre and a half of in the, the park to a natural environment, a salt marsh environment. Um, and I'd really like to do a shout out to uh, the county parks. They really, really implemented a marvelous project. Another phase that we do go through is the, the right-of-way certification. And that's just to confirm that you do have the rights to proceed to construction. Uh, typically, we need to go through a formal process when, with Caltrans when you're requesting an encroach permit on state highway or your local project is using federal funds. A uh, case study on that, I'd like to use the, um, old, the uh, North-South Greenway Northern segment. 
Uh, we're finishing up the, the design of that. Uh, it is complete now for the city portion. And during the process, we submitted all of our right-of-way information to Caltrans, and they, they thoroughly went through it and determined that there was a small county of Marin-owned uh, parcel that was landlocked within the roadway that they had control over, and then we needed to work with them to, to gain that right. Uh, we were easily, uh, we could easily do that, but we just needed to get an encroachment permit from, from the county to, to demonstrate that we had all the rights to proceed with the project. Then we go into the final design phase, and that's where the engineers go to work, look into the geotechnical information, the seismic conditions, hydraulic parameters and such to develop a design that we advanced to typical stages of 60, 90, 100% that are reviewed by involved agencies. Um, and then I'd like to just mention a couple of projects that TAM has been a sponsor of is we involve an architect and they provide uh, a great guidance um, for the team to really promote the aesthetics of these, these large uh, public works projects. Um, a good example is the, the Central Run Ferry Connector we had a great architect involved with that that really provided a lot of good input. Uh, during this phase, we do outreach to evolve agencies and interested stakeholders. Um, and then I just mentioned that, you know, we really need to do that early on because um, input during the late stages of the design um, can be difficult to incorporate and costly. At that point, we take the final design to our governing bodies, um, and then they approve the, the contract documents that allow us to go out and solicit bids from contractors. Uh, the governing body will award the contract to the lowest responsible bidder that complies with all the contract requirements. Um, and then I just might mention that Caltrans does follow a slightly modified process in the, the development process that um, requires multiple levels of review that, that do take time to, to get through uh, the process. A good example of the, the design process that we followed was the partnership with the Centralman Ferry Connector. Uh, TAM was a sponsor. Uh, the city of Larkspur was part owner of a section. Uh, SMART was uh, the actual owner of a larger section bridge uh, shown to the right. Um, that is now their, their facilities that they have um, taken control over. And then the County Marin Department of Public Works, they actually uh, took this design and took it through construction. Then we enter the fun stage, which is the construction of the actual um, project that we've developed from conception to nearly completion. Uh, the contract administrator does things like inspection, quality control. They ensure the contractor builds a project according to the plans and specs. And an important uh, component these days is really a partnership that we have to view this as multiple people building these projects. And the contractor is obviously a critical one. And we've really entered into a, a partnering relationship where we work to to solve problems at the lowest level and elevate projects to, to the management only as as needed basis. Um, this is one thing I'd like to, to show the, the commissioners is the fun part is the groundbreaking ceremony. 
So this was back in April 2014, um, which we got to celebrate the beginning of, of a long developed project. Then uh, at the completion, we, we get to open that to the public, and then the public then gets to begin to reap the benefits of years and years of work. So with that said, I will stop sharing and be happy to answer any questions the commissioners may have. Thank you, Bill, for that. Um, look to my colleagues here. Any questions about the project development process? Uh, Commissioner Ravazio. Hi, just a quick question um, on the ongoing project design for the pedestrian overcrossing at Tamalpais. We used a pro bono architecture firm, uh, Skidmore Owings and Merrill, to come up with a really distinctive and, and unusual design. And I'm wondering, what is the policy regarding that? How do we get, you know, the design phase seems so important. And I'm wondering what can be done to really um, step up the quality of our design work and is pro bono service. I mean, I know we can't afford the rich, the, you know, the people that the billionaires hire, but if they're willing to do it at a reduced or even uh, no cost, are, is that something we can look at? I, I would absolutely encourage that if, if, if any firms were interested in, in, in assisting, you know, public agencies with advancing public works projects, that would be a, a win-win for the community. Um, as I mentioned, we you know we are bringing in the, the architects to really advise the engineers on on elements that can really enhance uh, the projects. You're seeing that more and more um, with our our highway projects. You see a lot of the the murals and things like that that are out there. So um, I think we really are incorporating a lot of, of aesthetics for the community. But but certainly open to any any help that that, that these firms like yours that they did and they provided a great service to the town of Corte Madera and to the community. Thank you, Bill. Thanks, Commissioner Blaustein. Thank you, and thanks for that presentation. As as a new commissioner on TAM, it's helpful to see the whole process. So I really appreciate this series um, from you, Director Richmond, and from all of the TAM employees who are giving their time. I would like to know, since you know the example you showed, one of them was from 2004, um, and I worked for um, then Mayor Newsom when we were doing the Van S planning project in 2008, and that roadway is just getting completed. And I'd just like to understand, is the average timeline for something like this 20 years, 10 to 20? Have we seen a project with a five-year turnaround? Am I being overly optimistic? Um, I, I would love to get a sense of, you know, the planning process may take two to five years, the AR two to five, uh, or is that just without outside the bounds of what might happen? I can probably take that one, Bill. Okay. Uh, um, the, if you, Caltrans has a thing called, as Bill mentioned, the project development procedures manual. And it outlines a very segmented uh, that you have to do this step and then this step and then this step and then, and then this step. Um, the timelines of those, uh, if Caltrans is involved, it, it's, it's pretty standard that the project study report is about a year to a year and a half. 
the uh, environmental process and project approval, the project report as Bill mentioned, is 24 to 36 months. Design is normally a couple years. Right away is a big variable. It can be, if it's just rights of entry, it can be a year. If you have to acquire right of way, that'll be part of the project. Uh, that can be a couple year process. If you require condemnation and a resolution of necessity, you have to add another year on that. Um, and then before you even start, it takes a while to understand what it is you want to do and go through a process too. However, you can oftentimes start one of those before you complete the one before it. So it's possible to streamline things a little bit that way. Uh, if Caltrans is not involved and they're very prescriptive way of doing a project, you can save some time. For instance, we started projects at the same time for doing work on Sir Francis Drake in 2016 to improve the uh, eastbound uh, afternoon traffic flow. And we were able to get those to construction in a couple of years. Uh, the same with the uh, bike path over, over um, Sir Francis Drake over, over I-580. Those were fairly straightforward projects, but the Bellum project, uh, as you started at the same time, and we're still working on that. So it, it, it depends on the complexity. It also depends on how many agencies involved, how many outside permits are required, and especially the right-of-way. Thank you for that. Seems like there's a lot of variables, but that was a helpful response, Dan. I appreciate it. Uh, Commissioner Carroll. Yeah, I'm curious as to if it varies from uh, project to project or agents, depending on which agencies are involved, but what is the notification to people that might be affected by the project? Is it, you know, 300 feet, 500 feet, et cetera? And um, as some know, uh, a little controversy today about notification where a landlord was notified, but they didn't bother to pass that on to um, the residents of the property they owned. And I know of instances where the commercial tenants of property weren't notified. So where does that requirement come from? And where would it have to be changed to uh, make sure all the people that might be affected are notified about a project coming up? Yeah, we um, we do outreach. Um, it, well, it's, it's mandated during the environmental process, and there's very, very regimented ways of who has to be notified, who doesn't have to be notified. But Tam, especially on the larger projects, on the uh, uh, 580-101 local access uh, project, we have um, been doing outreach for two and a half years before we were going to even start the uh, environmental process to, with stakeholder working groups and input from all kinds of stakeholders. Um, and that's 
the, the, that's what we do for the larger projects, especially at TAM, some of the other uh, agencies a, a little bit less so, but we want to make sure we're as transparent as possible with these projects. I know, Bill, you can mention the outreach you did on the on the Greenbrae process, but it was extremely extensive and uh, and people were well aware of it happening. Uh, but the, the the required outreach that has to happen on any project does happen during the environmental process. And who who what agency is saying what the rules are and what are those rules? Well, the in the California Environmental Quality Act, it it's very it, it, it's very regimented on who has to be contacted. Okay, so this would have to be a change. And the the reason why I'm saying this is, you know, traditionally 20 years ago, you had newspapers, local newspaper, radio, TV, and signs. But now you look at all the social media sites. I mean, literally 50, you know, the people, and there are a lot of people who, especially our senior community, community who are just, they don't pay any attention to it at all. It's just too much noise for them. Um, so earlier today, we were discussing a specific project that had this problem. And I can see like, for instance, the North-South Greenway, which is one of our proposed projects is gonna go behind uh, three mobile home communities on this side of the freeway, where the property owner who owns the land will be notified, but there's no requirement that the tenants of those three areas who will be most directly affected by this project. What I'm understanding now is right now, there's no requirement that they be notified, which I think would be a big problem in the future. So that's just the issue I wanted to raise. I don't expect you to give me an answer, but that's the point I'm trying to get across is it's something I find a lot of the complaints that I get about um, government projects in general and, and CAM projects too, is because there, there is not enough outreach. You know, you may think you are, but the big questions I'm getting are from all the people who have either misinformation about it through word of mouth or something they read on a social media platform that didn't give them a link to the real information. And it just is a real waste of time and energy for all of us. So that's my comment. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Carroll. Uh, Commissioner Moulton Peters. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to um, appreciate the report tonight and also agree with Commissioner Kevin Carroll that, yeah, outreach is really important and we can't do enough. And sometimes old fashioned postcards are really good. Um, but on the report, I wanted to thank you as we were contemplating how to talk about these things. Uh, Brian and I last year said that capital project planning is often seems like a mystery. And to Melissa's question, you know, depending on the size of the project, it, this can go much faster. What you saw tonight was a fairly complicated example of a project that took many years, but many of our local projects don't take that long, um, but they do have phases. And it's, and I like to tell my constituents, it's not a weekend Home Depot special. You just can't go out and buy this stuff one weekend and slam it in the ground, right? There's a whole process that has to go on. And I think that's the point is that there, there is this process. 
And, um, and then I would just point out uh, as an informational item on the consent calendar 6C, which is page 19 in your packet tonight, is our semi-annual capital projects status report. And that uh, looks at all of our major projects, breaks them out into the phases that um, Bill and Dan described tonight. And it's a way to just track where are we with some of these major projects. Uh, so I just want to point it's a handy tool to keep uh, keep abreast of what we're doing. So thanks again for the presentation, guys. Really good. Uh, thank you, Commissioner Moulton-Peters. Any other uh, board questions, comments? We'll go over to public comment. I see two hands up right now. Uh, first one is Ava. I thought it was interesting that Bill Whitney brought up the um, the work between Larkspur between off of Sir Francis Drake. Um, you guys are concerned about, you know, notifying people of, of that project. And I, I'm going to tell you why you need to be concerned about that. I was injured on that site. Um, I was simply trying to cross in the very narrow pathway that had been left for us as cyclists and pedestrians. And Tam had hired a construction company that had a record of fatal accidents uh, due to mismanagement and poor safety. And they'd failed to put up a head level barrier and they failed to have a spotter. And thereby a stack of four by fours struck me in the head. I was wearing a helmet. It pushed the helmet back off. The top part of the lumber pushed the helmet back off. The bottom part struck me on the forehead. Um, and it, you know, when I tried to report it, um, to the second in command of this uh, construction company that you guys contracted, the man stole my phone, uh, deleted my video and destroyed evidence. And this ended up going to the district attorney um, because this was a politically connected wealthy white man. Um, he was given every courtesy. And I had to sit there um, uh, over like over half a year of listening to these hearings where I saw Latino working class people march through and sentenced, and this guy got off with full diversion. I think he got a $200 fine and an anger management training. He destroyed evidence that was a felony. I'm begging you to include working class people, the people who will be most impacted by your poor decision-making processes and your poor oversight. I looked at Ann Richmond's salary, over $300,000, uh, Bill Whitney, well over $200,000. Uh, I would like to know why you are incapable of vetting these construction companies, uh, because it has a direct Im impact on working class people like myself. Thank you, Ava. Uh, next up is Clayton Smith. Yeah. Um I'm going to address the issue of public notice in particular uh, about the um, Bellum Boulevard, which I uh, seem to hear you're planning to redo the um, freeway entrance there coming from the south, going around uh, to 580 and uh, then heading eastward on 580. And I no, had no idea that this was going to be done. That's a very complex uh, problem to solve, uh, particularly for people that are making that uh, uh, and heading um, 
to the right turn westward on Bellum Boulevard. And I, I had no idea there was even any uh, meetings or any place for or opportunity for public input on that, which goes back to your example of this uh, event in Larkspur starting in 2004. Uh, I noticed of all the people that you included in your inquiry into input, I didn't hear anything uh, from the driving public, the people who actually use the roadway. And so um, concerning the Bellum Boulevard situation, um, I think that it's important for you to get some input from those of us who actually use that intersection. Um, because I think it's very easy for you, if you make a mistake there, to create an untold number of problems for people coming north on the freeway, and particularly people attempting to make the migration from going south on 101 into that intersection and then attempting to make an, a, a, a right turn on Bellum Boulevard. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but I think that the, uh, the driving public will want to see what's going on. This is an opportunity to solve some big problems, but I'm afraid if you include too much pedestrian or bike stuff in that process, you're going to end up creating a mess that we're all going to end up having uh, many, many years to regret. And for those of us who try to conduct business in this county, circulation is, is a very important uh, subject. And secondly, uh, about uh, performance bonds on your contractors when they begin construction. I hope that you um, are putting on some kind of performance bond so these projects get done in a timely fashion. And then this one, I'm talking about the uh, pedestrian overpass in Corte Madero over to the shopping centers. I hope that's done quickly because that's the most congested, that's an awful traffic problem. And it really hurts those of us who are living south of that problem uh, in terms of our being able to continue or, or carry out any kind of business uh, during the, um, the commute hours. It's, it's like, one of the worst places to try to travel on, probably in the Bay Area, and it needs some correction. And that should be at the top of your priorities. Thank you. Thank you, Clayton. We'll go ahead and close public comment and bring it back to the board. Uh, this was just a discussion item, right? Uh, no action to be taken. Um, so we'll just see if any other uh, comments or questions uh, from the board. Bill, thank you for the presentation. Um, I know there were a couple comments around uh, notification. I know it's, uh, at least in Marina, every city, town, or jurisdiction where a project will be done probably has different notification rules as well. Maybe an opportunity for board members to uh, hear from other jurisdictions what their notification rules are, if that's uh, of interest to you in, in the area that you represent. Um, uh, I'm curious to see what ultimately TAM's role is in that too, based off of where the different projects are. But I think a lot of times it falls under the local jurisdiction where the project falls. But um, good comments all around. And uh, that brings us to the conclusion of our meeting tonight. So uh, great to see everyone. We will be back in person in March. And if there's no other items, uh, our meeting is adjourned. We'll see you all soon. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you. everybody. Thanks, everyone.